All right, well, good morning, everybody. Okay, uh, it is, uh, we're going to um, not meet next week. So this will be our last one till the new year. Uh, I've been asked, you know, whether we're going to stay in Song of Songs or not, and we are for a little bit. But we do have plan B. I mean, we, we have the next plan, not plan B, but the next thing. It's just that we, um, we being Pastor Bukes and I, uh, you know, we're just kind of taking it one week at a time. So I asked Pastor Bukes last week, and he said, well, I definitely want to talk about Chapter 8. And I said, okay, great. Well, then we'll just keep going. So I think, um, I, don't, I, I don't remember which Friday we start in January off the top of my head. Yeah, which is like maybe the 19th or 12, 18th or something like that. So, um, great. Okay. All right, so today we're going to talk a little bit about chapters 5 and 6, which I know is kind of like a lot of words on the page, but we're going to talk in kind of big, broad strokes while pulling out a few specific verses. So this continues the uh, chapters 5 and 6 in Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, continues this back and forth between the bridegroom and the bride, or the, the lover and the beloved. So um, this back and forth is very important for us, because that's going to be kind of the, the, the paradigm, the actions. And so just, just to remind everybody that, you know, the Song of Songs, way back when, when the double rainbow guy came out, and, um, you know, Song of Songs is the soundtrack to the Bible. So... You know, it gives kind of this beauty to the whole biblical narrative. But in addition to that, music and dancing go together, which last time I taught, you got to see the another side of Eros with the Boston Celtics fan. So if, uh, if you guys, it was uh, getting ready for Christmas sharing day. So if you weren't here, you just go home and YouTube Boston Celtic fan and Bon Jovi. And, and you'll see how um, Eros, sat, uh, agape saturated with Eros, manifests itself publicly in a way that um, disregards what people might think of you. So, I mean, if you, love one an- if you love another, you're going to publicly show this. You won't keep it private. So you see that in the Song of Songs when they, you know, Come out and let's go out and we'll show everybody our love. So they hide away, they go away, but then they also come back. And so just, yeah, it's a Boston Celtics fan, young man who really loves Bon Jovi and just not afraid to show it in front of thousands and thousands of people. In addition to that, though, that, that's another great image of the Song of Songs because uh, the dancing. <laughs> now he's dancing by himself. But uh, you can tell there's some sort of like something leading him in his dance, the passion. So uh, Jesus is the, the leader. So Jesus, we're dancing with Jesus. That's the Song of Songs. This is this back and forth between the bridegroom and the bride. And, and the bridegroom is leading uh, the bride uh, along this dance. So there has to be one who leads and one who follows. Obviously, that language is, is very kind of common to our understanding of our relationship with Jesus. Um, 
So in chapters five and six, there's a lot of description of bodies and you know who you know. But when the lovers describe each other's bodies, they're confessing who each other are, in, but in relationship to each other. So they're describing some this other person, but in their description, they're describing them as they relate to themselves. So it's not like a an a, a objective description that's abstracted from us. It's a description as they are to them. So there's this connection, unity. All right, so that's really important for, because um, as this description happens, we realize that it's about the union of the persons and then the revelation of how humanity is in the image of God. So remember, he made them male and female in the image of God. It's not just male as being an image of God primarily, but it's that relationship with one another that images God. Okay, because um, a lot of that's going on in chapters 5 and 6. And in chapel, I read from chapter 6, and the one verse that that is kind of a a good general synopsis is, again, verse chapter 6, verse 3, which echoes an earlier chapter 4. I can't read it. I'm my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. So again, you have this. You have this other person, but they're in relationship to that. And then, of course, um, you know she talks about you know him him uh, uh, going down to his garden and gathering lilies, and then he returns and talks about how beautiful she is. So this is number four. You are beautiful. And then we have this kind of these kind of strange metaphors, the flocks of goats and the uh, teeth being a flock of ewes, which of course that's that's a good thing. <laughs> um, but what is um, uh, interesting then is that he he tells tells his beloved how beautiful she is by describing who she is. Now those descriptions are a little lost on us because we don't know what the goats of Gilead look like. But we presume it's, it's a good thing. And then, and then he also talks about the, uh, the queens and the concubines and the virgins. He brings those up, and, and it sounds kind of strange at first, but then in verse 9, my dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. Um, and, then, and, then, and then he says, the young women saw her and called her blessed. So her beauty is confessed by the man, her bridegroom, but also her beauty is also supported and encouraged by the other women. And that's very important for us because we re- just you know, let's kind of review again. The bride in the Song of Solomon is a sinner, of course. But the bridegroom's love has sanctified her, just like in Ephesians chapter 5, where the bride is presented without spot and wrinkle because the bridegroom has washed her. Okay, so she is beautiful. It's not beauty in the eyes of the beholder. It's It's beauty. She's beautiful. That's who she is. That's who God made her to be. 
Of course, though, she has doubts. And so, not only does the husband have to say that, or the bridegroom have to say to the bride, but also the other women have to love and support her in that same thing. So if you think about the church, Christ tells us who we are. We are his. We are his beloved baptismal language. Truly you are, I'm sorry, um, the heavens ripped open. And what does the father say to his son? You are my beloved son. Okay. So that's baptismal language. But of course, we are baptized in this room, I think. And do we wake up in the morning and say, I'm, I'm, I'm beautiful? No, because when we look in the mirror, we're like, God's lying. <laughs> but God doesn't lie, does he? So we need each other to love and support us in who we are. So this is really important as we, we talk a little bit about women in general, masculinity, femininity. Okay, so th- those are some of the, those are the kind of synopsis. But um, the overarching thing is this back and forth between the, the man and the woman and then how these others, these others kind of fit into this relationship. Okay, in chapter 5 and 6, too, also, they're helping us kind of recover, again, I think I've mentioned this before, this primordial wonder, which goes back to that Boston Celtics fan. He's enraptured by Bon Jovi. All right, so Adam is fascinated by, this is a little review, Adam is fascinated by Eve, and he's fully himself with her. Remember, at the end of the day, he looked at all the animals and couldn't find someone like him. But then Eve comes along, and he's like, oh, finally, a body who reveals myself, shows me me, or reflects me. Um, Okay, so Adam sees Eve, and remember, he sees her, her body, but he sees into her, right? Intimacy, into me, see. And he knows who he is. So this is a really dynamic and wonderful relationship where he sees her, but then is revealed something about himself. So feminine beauty for Adam draws himself into God's purpose for his life. And that's, that's really important. And that's not just bridegroom bride language. This is male and female. We'll, we'll find that out here in a second. So obviously, if that's true, then Satan wants to attack that beauty. Is that my phone? Are you, are you an, a fantasy football fan? I've started a lot of conversations about that. I'm like, hey, are you a fantasy football fan too? They're like, oh, yeah. And then we, just, we go on forever and ever. That's an ESPN. I don't know how to turn that off either, Joanne. I try, I've tried to turn it off many times, and now it keeps coming up. I know. I know, but I can't, I can't, okay. <laughs> All right, back to, back to Song of Songs. So Satan attacks this beauty, and he, but how he attacks it, he tries, he tries to make it an idol, and I think he does a pretty good job of this. With, uh, uh, so one of the main idols for men is feminine beauty, because women is one of the main icons of the heavenly mysteries. What do I mean by that? Woman is the image of heaven on earth meaning heaven being the dwelling place of God. So, of course, Advent is a very, this is, we talk about this all the time in Advent. Mary, uh, Jesus is, is uh, spoken into Mary's ear, and he is, uh, you know, conceived in Mary's womb. 
So Mary, so she's the dwelling place of God. I mean, literally, she's, God is dwelling in her. But of course, that is reflected into every woman. We talked about this already. So woman is the image of heaven on earth. Through God, through her, God comes into the world. I mean, that, that is for every woman. Because God comes into the world through woman's body. Her body is holy and sacred. And so the, the enemy wants to attack it. Two ways that I see it happening, simple ways. Men objectify it. and we, We've seen that all through the news over the last couple months with all this nonsense happening um, with men treating women like objects. And then women deny it. So it's, it's not just a man problem. It's a woman's problem. I mean, it's a person problem. It's a human problem that we don't confess the beauty of, of a woman. Now, I'm, I'm accentuating women because the majority of the women are in here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. How can women believe in her beauty when so many are trying to undermine this? So how, how is women's beauty undermined? How would you say women's beauty are undermined? That's right. That's, I mean, that's the simple one, right? Give us a magazine, and we will find out who's Photoshopped or... What's that? Yeah, absolutely. Songs. They, object, yeah, they, they ruin women. Um, yeah, so these are... I mean, there's a lot of ways, right? So how, how do we help women believe this? Because that's what's going on in chapter 5 and 6. I mean, he says very flatly, "My, be- uh, I'm sorry, um, verse 4, you are beautiful. So if Christ is the bridegroom in the Song of Songs, that's he's saying that to you. You are beautiful. Okay? So first, I, I think the only way to do it is first to hear, hear of our beauty from the word of God, I mean, from God's mouth. We have to hear this. And so, Psalm 45, 11, the king desires your beauty. So it's a real powerful, kind of interesting psalm. But then Ephesians chapter 5 echoes this. And then, of course, you know, the Gospels uh, demonstrate that. Second, men must repeat what God says by relating to women truthfully. And what I mean by truthfully means, obviously, to not objectify women. But, like, treat women as God treats them, as the um, crown of creation. I think I might have talked about that two weeks ago, but since a lot of us weren't here. So uh, what do I mean by the crown of creation? So in a way, male and female is the crown of creation. That's Genesis chapter 1. But in Genesis chapter 2, Eve is now kind of the manifestation of humanity's kind of royal position in the universe. And that's obviously confessed by Adam. This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Okay? So, that's, I mean, so Adam is repeating what God has already, I mean, he hasn't said it, but he's, he made it. Made her. Made her. So he is just repeating what God has done. And then third, women need to echo what God says for each other through, through friendship. Through, and that, that's, we see that again at the end of chapter 6 in Song of Songs, when um, 
in verse 9, the young women saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines also, and they praised her. All right, so those, those are kind of simple ways of understanding that. So as you apply that to the church, God has called us beautiful. Um, men have a unique position to, 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 keep, to keep saying this, and obviously that's kind of ultimately fulfilled in the, in the pastor's role. But every 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 man has that position, and, and then uh, I mean, in terms of um, you know taking a responsibility of speaking truthfully, and then women obviously need to say it also. We remind each other that um, you know you're you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that you're beautiful, and it's not because of magazines' definition of beauty; it's because of what God says to you. So we're agreeing with God. It's by grace. <laughs> Not of yourself. It's a gift of God. And we're going to get to gifts here in a second. All right, so that, that's, that's, uh, I think that's just... Uh, we'll see. Okay. So now if you read the descriptions, there are obviously differences between the bridegroom and the bride. But those differences aren't reasons for consternation or jealousy, but reasons for fascination. The differences cause Adam and Eve to fascinate or be fascinated in one another. All right, so each other is enriched, enlivened, and beautified. I don't know if that's a word, but the red squiggly line did not come up. So beautified, I think, is, is right. When describing what is unique to each other, obviously there's similarities. I mean, they all have cheeks and arms and legs and... Um, Mouths. I think I, I, I didn't list the similarities, but okay. Um, but now there's kind of a long quote here. Uh, it's from it's Christopher West's blog, and I, I the part in italicized is actually a quote, but the rest of it I just kind of paraphrased. So when we forget the unity of body and soul, who we are as entirely as a person, when we forget that in each person, we turn the person into an object rather than a subject. So we we can actually turn ourselves into objects, which is just kind of a weird, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough place to be in. This means when we try to deny our bodies and their differences and, and, and their sexuality, that means sexuality means like, you know, check the box, male or female, masculinity, femininity. We lose the basis of that primordial wonder, which led Adam on the morning of creation to exclaim before Eve, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This same wonder is echoed in the words of the Song of Songs. You ravish my heart, my sister, my bride. You ravish my heart with a, a glance of your eyes. We also see that in um, verse 5 of chapter 6. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. It's the same, same idea. Yeah. We could have quoted that instead of Song 4, verse 9. How far removed are some modern ideas from the profound understanding of masculinity and femininity found in divine revelation? Revelation leads us to discover in human sexuality a treasure proper to the person who finds true fulfillment in marriage and the family, but who can likewise express his profound calling in celibacy for the sake of the kingdom of God. So whether you're married or not married, your masculinity and femininity can find purpose and fulfillment precisely in your relationship to God. 
ultimately in your relationship to God. Um, in the Song of Songs, there's always, well, just in chapter 5, um, uh, uh, verse 2, I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love. And, and then you just keep going here to verse 6. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. So you're kind of like, well, what happened to him? Where did he go? Well, this is to demonstrate that within human love, it, it's, it will not completely fulfill you. It's the divine love that fills you up fully, completely. Again, marriage and our, and our friendships are a revelation or an icon of the divine love. That's why we, when we are in heaven, married people won't be married because... You got, you got what marriage is all about. You don't, I know, which is hard to think of, which is just also just shows the, like, the, the amazing thing about heaven. You know, what's heaven going to be like? I, I, I don't like that question because we don't know. It's, beyond, it's, it's better than the best thing in this world. Okay. So when fascinated by the beauty of the human body, we just rediscover human sexuality and gender as... A sign, or maybe the sign. I, don't know, I, didn't, I didn't decide on which pronoun to use, or um, uh, article to use. Of the divine image in man and, and the invitation, and the invitation to freely live this divine image through this sincere gift of one's life in marriage or in celibacy for the kingdom. So our bodies actually are revelations of what God has in store for us. This giving and receiving of life. All right. Oh, there's a great last sentence here. And we do all of the above precisely by pondering the profound understanding of masculinity and femininity found in divine revelation, found in God's word, made flesh in Christ. Um, yeah, so think about that for a little bit. Christ says to the church, this is my body, which is given for you. Christ gives his body, and of course, we receive that body by opening up our body. So even though I'm a, I'm a guy, when I'm in the church, this femininity of receiving tells me that's, that's who I am when I, I'm at the altar. pretty pretty interesting to think about. All right. But keep moving cuz I, I I got a real cool video and I'm so excited to show it. I love it. So If you have any questions though, please uh, you know, interrupt me. Okay, so I'm all working towards this differences that complement each other and create space for giving and receiving. Now, the word complement There I think you say it the same way, right? The two compliments, like I give you, I say something nice to you, that's a compliment. And then when things fit together, they compliment, but they're spelled differently. It's two different words. Okay. I, know, I have, did not look these up, so I'm just, I'm really hoping that I know what I'm doing. 
So I, the complementary and complementary language, those are both in play, play on words, language of the lovers in chapters 5 and 6, reveals how each complement the other for the other. I know that's a lot of like, that's a lot of repeating. But I think it's a pretty, I think it's a pretty good sentence, I think. You think about that for a while. First figure out what in the world it says, and then think about what it means. Okay. So God inscribes in our bodies, as male and female, the language of gift and self-gift. We fit together. People fit together. Because we uh, are meant, I forgot a verb, meant to live the life of God. What does that mean? God's love is the motivation for creation, meaning God made us to love us. We're made to be loved and to love. And male and female image, image, meaning the verb, images that same love by being gift to one another. Okay. So God created man, man being a general word for, for everybody, because he loves them, or said another way, to love them. God is gift to man. Being made in the image of God, man and woman are created to be a life-giving gift to one another. Original sin was the denial of that gift by grasping the fruit rather than trusting God to give it, to put it into the passive rather than joyfully receiving the fruit. So, we think of way back when in the Garden of Eden, jumping back, original sin was, was the denial of the gift by grasping the fruit rather than trusting God to give it. I think I might have mentioned this before. So the sin wasn't the fruit itself. It wasn't like this, this fruit is sinful. But it was the grasping of it. It was the action that was the sin. God wants to... So God, you know, so think about it. God didn't want us to, be, to have the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, that's, that doesn't make sense. God wanted to teach us what was good and evil. But Eve believed this Satan. What did Satan do? He caused her to doubt that trusting relationship. He, she thought that God was going to deny her the gift. So she went out and took it. So Eve, having accepted the paradigm of denial, cast doubt on the gift of the heavenly bridegroom, God. And grasped at the fruit. Bride in the song, Song of Songs, lives in the paradigm of gift and opens herself to receive the fruit which her bridegroom freely bestows upon her. So Eve denied the gift given to her. Now it wasn't just the fruit, but it was who she was. See, when women deny the gift of their body, again, body being who they are, you are body, soul, they cast doubt on the very gift of God's given, that, that God's given them. Adam denied Eve's gift also by not reminding her who she was, the beloved of God. So Adam and Eve uniquely grasped for the fruit. So Eve, you know, we always think Eve just grasped it, right? But Adam was present next to her, and he wasn't telling her, you are the gift of God. You are the beautiful one. God loves you. You are the beloved. He wants to give you the fruit. 
and that's how he grasped it. So this is important um, because I think this is pervasive in our culture between people. We treat people like objects all the time. And we just do it unwittingly. And this is like, this is like just a thing. Which is, you know, real, realizes the, how original sin is so fundamental to who we are. Okay. Yeah, Krista. Uh, I just was thinking, you know, uh, Adam and Eve, they were in paradise. And how come that they have um, uh, um, bad thinking? Because, you know, um, is it the free will that uh, Eve uh, was not satisfied anymore with her yeah, right. situation? I think you can only answer that out, Krista, if you figure out why you sin. Why do we do the bad things we do? And then you, I mean, I'm, I'm dead serious because God has given you himself in, in the gift of Holy Communion. God wants to dwell inside you and yet we always are ruining that relationship. So once you figure that out, then you, I think you can answer the Eve question. I, I'm really serious because I've, I've always wondered about that too. I'm like, what, what is wrong with these people? Same with like uh, Israel, right? They just, get, they just get rescued from Egypt and they're all like, we want to go back. You're like, what is wrong with you? You just saw the, the Red Sea just open up. God is on your side. What do you have to worry about? It's the same with Adam and Eve. But God says the same thing to us. And yet, you know, it's, it's, we always think, well, it would have been easier back then. So hard now. Life is so hard. But you know, the thing is, my, my grandparents used to say that. <laughs> I mean, so I feel like everyone says that. Our life is so hard. Maybe just life is hard. So whether you're you know, life wasn't easy. I'm not sure if e- e- life was easy in the Garden of Eden, even. I don't know. It was perfect. That doesn't mean it's easy. This is something that we always, we always equate easy with perfection with easy. I, I mean, easy things are kind of like we don't even do them. Oh, it's so easy. That's a great That's a great analogy. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. The Garden of Eden is such a peculiar thing. And Martin Luther has some really strong words about it. Like, um, and, th- and this is something, too, about like John Paul II's uh, uh, exegesis of the Genesis text, is you always have to be careful to not say too much. You always have to stick within the Word of God. And so Martin Luther is really concerned about like um, imagining what the art Garden of Eden would be like, because... We don't. We can't really know. It's beyond the veil. So yeah. So we think, oh, Garden of Eden is easy. Why? Why? Why would that be? Well, because it's perfect. Okay, we got perfect. We got. Pardon the pun. Perfect example how perfect things are not easy. So I don't know. I don't know, Krista. I don't know why they did that. And like I said, once I figure it out myself, I can think about other people. But I have a feeling I'm going to be working on myself for a long time. So. Yeah, Kathy. Was it perfect or was it good? Well, uh, good and perfect. Perfect means, so that's another question that we have to answer. What does perfect mean? And perfect means fully themselves. So Garden of Eden was fully alive, um, which is very good based on the six-day confession of God. So perfection and good go together. But there's no, there's no indication that perfection and easy go together, biblically speaking. 
So I don't know. The thinking about I mean, it does seem quite a bit easier to have your food completely provided for you, like hey, let's eat whatever you want, everything's given to you here, versus having to work. Oh. So like. Oh. oh. <laughs> they did work. Yeah. So I mean, I, Adam was a gardener, right? Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, was that good? I mean, I think it was joyful. It was very joyful, but I don't know if it was easy. You know, did he like have to? Could he? You know, did he just throw the seed on the ground, or did he have to dig a hole? I don't know. I mean, I you know, I don't know exactly how that all worked. But isn't there supposed to be a contrast between that and they get kicked out and they're like, now your toil is going to be by the sweat of your brow? But he still had to work. Again, this is where we think easy means, you know, I just. Yeah, we. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah take care of things. I mean, yeah, take care of things. But, I just think, but even now, when you're doing something that you truly love, right? It's not. It's not work. It's not drudgery. Right, and I think I think that's what the Genesis account is: is that when he uh, God says you're going to um, to sweat of your brow or whatever he says. Which I should know because I'm a pastor. But, um, yeah, he's saying exactly that. Where now the things you were meant to do will be will be a burden to you, or they weren't before. But we don't know exactly what those actions look like, and that's kind of what we're discussing. But this is a great. This is actually a great analogy of our relationships with one another. Because um, the bridegroom and the bride in Song of Solomon, right, come to my garden. Well, my beloved, uh, verse 6, verse 2, my beloved has gone down to his garden. So, I mean, this is all connected, the Garden of Eden situation. And, of course, the beauty of our relationships as male and female is a, uh, a beautiful, wonderful thing. But yet, of course... It's not easy. So um, that's great. All right. Uh, okay, so the, the uh, video is uh, by Ecce Films. It's a, it's a Latin or slash Italian word for behold. Um, and uh, it's, there's a six, six parts. I, I showed you uh, the, a little bit of it with the hands, the cathedral by the uh, Rodin, 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 Rodin. Um, so this is a, uh, a video on male and female, complimentary. And, oh, so, so a couple of things. They uh, think about the differences between archetypes and stereotypes. I spelt complimentary wrong, by the way, in this section. What do the compliment, compla, le, with an E, that should have an E there. Complimentary differences reveal about man and women. And how does the church help us become more of who we are? Those are just kind of three questions. But, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things in here. All right. I'm just going to stop it. I can finish his thought. He basically says... Um, Waterfront property is the most expensive property in the world. Why is that? Because that's where all the action is. And then he goes in to say uh, how, how we, as people, really desire to be close to where the action is, where the, 
sexes are um, living in relationship to one another, giving and receiving. All right. Uh, sorry about all that. Oh. Okay. Um, first of all, I, I, it's a very interesting film. Hopefully you were able to read all the subtitles. Um, so uh, what, are, what, what are the differences between, uh, or the difference between archetype and stereotypes? Did you catch what he said? That uh, Peter Kreft actually said it, but it was demonstrated in a variety of ways. When an archetype is inherent and a stereotype is created, Yeah. So um, an archetype of, of man being a, a giver, the woman philosopher um, from whatever the university that was, um, mentions men, you know, man being a giver is inscribed in his body, and then female as a receptivity or, or a image of receptivity. And then also, too, the, uh, the um, Arabic man who was, had that uh, parable, little saying, demonstrating that, too. Yeah, that's really important for us to, to know because, um, you know, by God making people as male and female, there the archetype is, and that's a way of talking about it. But um, that you know, that's this is part of who we are as man and woman, or male and female. So it's right, as he said, it's right. We are right to evaluate. Stereotypes, whether those are still pertinent for today. And you can think about how the culture has changed over the last, you know, 50 years and how that has really been questioned. However, what has also been denied is, is the archetype of, like, who we are. And I would associate that as the denial of the gift. So... Um, that's something to think about as we want to, you know, rediscover and rejoice in what God has given us as male and female. Okay. Any questions about that? Yes. Well, just, I was thinking of experience examples of the same-sex couples who are trying to change their archetypes. Right. Should be one or the other to fit this role. That's exactly right. Now, um, there's a great that's exactly right. Now, um, in, uh, in there's another video, in the sixth video, they basically talk about how, um, how this impacts culture. And in France, actually, there was a, a, a law to try to implement same-sex marriage, and it was turned down. Even, even, even uh, and what's interesting about that video is that, um, well, first of all, there's a homosexual man in this one. There's another one, and he, he actually is practicing homosexual, but he acknowledges that same-sex marriages can't have children because you're denying the fundamental reality of having a father and mother. And that is basically unnatural, ungodly. And what's fascinating about this, that, that whole scenario, was the acceptance of the archetype. That this is an archetype, not a stereotype versus what we see in the United States culture, right? I mean, you don't need to have a man and a woman. You don't need to have a father and mother. Okay, so um, now, okay, Krista. uh, Only quickly, because I had a discussion with a friend, and she said, 
Jesus never said something against the homosexuals. And uh, uh, later on I was talking with Gunda, and, and you know, and um, when Jesus uh, grew up in a certain mm -hmm. um, there was, that was forbidden. And it was sure. even, um, it was, uh, uh, they would be, it's a death penalty. It was a death penalty yeah. in Leviticus. And uh, right. we just looked. And, uh, you know, and when I grew up, it's a long time ago, um, I really didn't know. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, of course, it wasn't as widespread as it is today by any stretch of the imagination. But what's, what was great about this man's response was it had nothing to do with the law, whether it's in the Bible or in society, but it had everything to do with his body, the way he was made. And, and he said, right? He said, I cannot give myself as husband and father now. But yet, as a man, how does he fulfill his his role as, as being a masculine you know, person. Friendship, brotherhood, service. So that is where, even though the, the, the homosexual desire still remains, he is fulfilling himself as a man precisely in this, not in giving into his sexual desires. And then you also see that then in the French woman where... She has, so you kind of have the single person understanding, and then you have the married couple where, she, like, she says, you know, I have couples come in and they say, we're not sexually attracted to her. And she's like, so what? You can go without having sex, <laughs> you know, to provoke them a little bit. And she, but she says, though, that you, you still, even though they say that, they still have their desires, right? They still have this desire for being lo loved and to be loved. And so in a married couple, now that looks different than the young man. But yet, to love and be loved, is a, is the same, there is that desire. But now God has created these, these uh, places or locations for us to experience that. And so that is, I mean, that was really interesting. The compl complementary differences about man and woman, what does that reveal? It reveals not only the difference, like, I know something about women, but when I know that, I know that about myself. So again, it reveals a richness to our, our world. What I also liked, too, about the Spanish man was the, the discussion of the limits and how if you are turned in on yourself, which is a very Lutheran understanding of sin, you close yourself off to this, this, this uh, other person, but also this other way of understanding life. And so it's less. It's not as enriching. It's not as you know, fulfilling. Um, and so let's you know, think about that. So, okay. And then uh, obviously, and so the young man then says within the church, as the church celebrates and uh, accepts these two, the masculinity and femininity, and then creates a, an environment where both of these are celebrated and lived out, then the church is the very place that helps us understand or become more of who we are. And uh, his, his answer is just so good. Church is the place where we discover the otherness of God, and church is the place where we experience the created otherness of male and female, sexual differences, he says. So that's, um, 
But okay, but we see that explicitly in the Song of Songs. Go back to Song of Songs. Is that in chapters five and six? But also through the whole entire book, we see this in play. So, all right, it, we passed time. I wish I had more time to talk about the video, but I, we'll see if I can get a faster internet connection. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.